0: Pilot the Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. The ground school app contains knowledge and skill videos. Check it out at learnthefinerpoints.com.
1: Hello, my name is Claire. I'm a private charter pilot flying the Falcon 7X.
0: AV Nation, what is going on and welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. Today's intro is going to be a relatively quick and short one. Uh, Today's podcast is with Claire. Claire is a corporate pilot and she is doing some awesome flying, flying a Falcon all over the world. Uh, She is awesome to follow on Instagram and just has a really cool story about how she got in aviation and where she is today and why she chose the path that she did. If you enjoyed today's episode, please check us out on Instagram at pilot the pilot and also listen to some other episodes. There's 219 amazing episodes that you can choose from and get inspired to become a pilot or continue your training today. Aviation. I won't keep you any longer. So, any further ado? Here's Claire. Claire, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having
0: me. I'm excited to have you on. Excited to talk to a fellow, uh, not necessarily pr- charter, but uh, the private side. So uh, fractional, you know, business jets. We always have to stick together and uh, make sure we look like we're having more fun than anyone flying the airlines.
1: Absolutely. Completely the spoiled side of aviation.
0: Right? Until you have to clean a bathroom. <laughs> then you're like, all right, screw this. Get me out of here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> got to keep us humble. Yeah, I
0: know. Right. Well, cool. Uh, I always start out by asking the same question. Why aviation? What was it about you specifically that got you in aviation?
1: Um, I grew up in the D.C. area, um, and that's where I am right now. Um, my dad worked a lot, but on weekends, our thing was we'd go to uh, the Smithsonian's on the mall um, in DC. So we frequented the air and space museum cause my dad was air force. And, uh, I saw Amelia Earhart and like immediately fell in love with the idea that she went off on her own, uh, traveling the world under her own power flying. She was the first female pilot I'd ever seen before that. I didn't know that that was even a possibility as a career for like a female. I just never seen it before. Um, it was just downhill from there.
0: <laughs> How old were you when you kind of saw Amelia Earhart or heard about Amelia Earhart and really realized that you could do that?
1: Um, I was 10. <laughs> I, uh, I got an Amelia Earhart doll from the gift shop and I still have it. <laughs> um, and my grandpa actually gave me, um, he sent me an article when I was like 12 um, of the Amelia Earhart mystery still lives. And I have the newspaper article in a frame. And then I have like the note that he wrote me my log book.
0: That's so cool.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, it was really inspiring for me uh, as ten years old.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and it's amazing. It, there's obviously everyone knows there's not enough girls or women in aviation whatsoever. Now I feel like it's much better because not much better, but it's getting better because there's so many influencers or people on Instagram that can show other girls that you can do this too. You can become a pilot just like a guy, just like anyone else. You have the ability to do it. And you can do it. And I think seeing that exposure is, is just helping aviation so much. And in a way, that's kind of how it helped you get into aviation too. You saw someone else that looked like you and you're like, cool, I could do this if she can do it.
1: Absolutely. I'm a big believer If in uh, if you can see her, you can be her. Yeah. Uh, I told the Women in Aviation magazine the same thing. I was like, this upcoming generation of pilots is going to be so heavily influenced because it is a small percentage. I mean, we've grown quite a bit just in the past few years, looking at the statistics that the FA puts out. Um, and I think a large part of that is just the visibility of us. Like, I mean, we're striking a contrast in the sea of men yeah.
0: <laughs> of old white men. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> what, um, I guess we'll get, I guess one question I'll ask right now. So I'll probably forget if I don't what can we do better to get more women in aviation? Is there anything that you just really see as lacking or do you see everyone kind of taking that next step and really doing their part?
1: Um, I went to a seminar about, uh, this, this woman who did research on the lack of women in aviation. And, uh, I believe what she found is also kind of what I see in that she asked women why they were scared to get into women in aviation. And then she also, uh, sampled why they chose to leave aviation, or at least were considering leaving aviation. And it was the number one answer was just like the male club, like the good old boys club was so off-putting, or they'd have such a bad experience that they didn't want to be involved in aviation. It's getting quite a bit better. Personally, to me, what I've seen, because I've done quite a bit of recruiting for women in aviation, especially in my college years, um, I noticed that we are not getting them early enough. Uh, like we were going to high schools and high schoolers essentially for the most part kind of know what they want to do. They at least know like what subjects they like and don't like, and therefore can kind of go into like a field that they prefer. Um, I think we need to be hitting them at middle school age. Cause I noticed the middle school age, like, well, mostly they didn't have, they had less of an attitude, <laughs> <laughs> but also like they didn't really know what like careers are available to them. So um I, I, found it was a bit easier to connect with them and, uh, they, their minds weren't set on any one
0: field. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a valid point. I mean, once you get in high school, you either kind of have some sort of idea what you like and don't like, or you become a little bit of a brat and you don't want to go to the airport at like early in the morning with your dad or anything like that, you know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, Yeah. It's awesome to see. I mean, Instagram, I feel like has just done a lot for just the exposure of showing people that you can do this too for all kinds of diversity in aviation and it's much needed. Uh, And hopefully in the next 10, 15 years, it will be a different story and it won't be so so rare. I mean, I don't want to say rare anymore, but just so strange for some people to grasp that a girl could do this or a minority could do this, you know? So hopefully it can be a norm.
1: Absolutely. I think we're heading in the right direction.
0: I think so. Well, You knew at an early age that you kind of wanted to be a pilot or or were you full set? Like, did that Amelia Earhart doll just really put it in your mind that I'm going to fly no matter what, nothing's going to stop me?
1: Uh, I mean, I think it was kind of a dream for me. It didn't really seem tangible because I didn't know anybody else that did it. Like, I'm the only pilot in my family, so I didn't know how to get there. It wasn't until high school where my dad was kind of like, so... should do doing for college <laughs> that I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. And I was really bad at math. I still am. And he was like, well, Hey, I, I found this university that like specializes in flying. It's literally called aeronautical university at the end. I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. I think I'll try that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's awesome. So what, what school was it?
1: No, it was Embry-Riddle oh, um, out it. in Prescott, I, Arizona.
0: That's awesome. What made you choose Prescott over like Daytona or anything like that? Did you visit all of them or are you just like, hey, Arizona's cool. It's not the East Coast.
1: <laughs> it was a little bit of that. Uh, I got my privates, uh at home out of Manassas Airports, uh, Part 61. And then uh, two days later, I went to Embry-Riddle Prescott. Uh, but when I toured colleges, uh, Prescott actually, I think, reached out to me first. Um and I was also looking at the Ohio State, and I was looking at Purdue as well. But I was just—I just, know my mom's about guys. <laughs> no way, that's awesome. <laughs> yes, that's so cool. My family's from Cleveland, so I—I um, no I, I checked it out, and I mean, it was a cool program. Both Ohio State and Purdue had a great program, but I was so overwhelmed by the amount of people um, that when I went to Prescott, it was like it's a hometown feel. I. I knew all my professors. I knew basically everyone in my major. It was it was nice. It was comfortable.
0: Yeah, I think I grad. No, I didn't graduate with. But I think when I was at Ohio State, there was some like sixty five or seventy thousand total students, and probably fifty thousand were undergrad. (laughs) It was nuts. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's one. You get kind of get used to it. You you make a big school what you want it to be. You can it can be a really big school or it can feel like a really tiny school. Uh, I mean, you end, usually end up hanging out with like the same 10 people, no matter if you go to a big school or small school anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you
1: know? Yeah. It's totally different for people. Like people ask me all the time about going to a small school and it, it's totally different taste for different people. I couldn't tell you one way or the other, which yeah. one's better.
0: And I will say, I will have to, uh, I can't lie. I feel like Purdue out of Ohio State or Purdue, Purdue's probably the better choice for an aviation career. I hate to say that because I am a Buckeye, but I just feel like they have so much going for them on the aviation side. And I don't know if they've just been doing it for a while and they really have invested in it. But uh, aside from having, I guess, um, the local company in in Columbus bought a bunch of planes for Ohio State, but they have a new building and stuff, so maybe stuff is moving that direction. But Purdue has a jet. They have some cool simulators. They have a lot of cool stuff there.
1: Well, Purdue was also attractive to me because I went into uh, college seeking, hoping that maybe I could combine a engineering degree with a flying degree. I really wanted to be a test pilot. Um, And Purdue has an excellent engineering program. And they're like, oh, yeah, it'd be super easy to parallel your flight training with the engineering program. I was like, really? (laughs)
0: So was it just the size of the school that should make you choose, uh, Embry-Riddle and Prescott, or was there more to it? Did they offer more?
1: Um, honestly, not really. I well, actually, that's not true. I, Embry-Riddle offered me a very small scholarship and I say very small, like in comparison to like how much tuition and play training was, um, But also I think it was just, it was attractive to go to the mountains. I did all my training for private in, on the East coast, you know, and and it's flat and green and there's 5 million airports for you to go to and you go out there and it's just like this vast desert with mountains and you actually have to like worry about density altitude.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you do. You're like, oh, that's why it's an 8,000 foot runway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly.
0: That's funny. Did um, Before you went there, did you know anything about embryo riddle Like, did you know kind of like the inside jokes about the school or about uh, any kind of just the vibe that some Embry-Riddle kids give off? Or did you kind of go in with no uh, no background or no real... Um, I'm guessing you did your your research, but not knowing kind of how some Embry-Riddle kids come across. I guess what I'm getting at is, was it everything you expected it was going to be or was it different than you thought it was going to be?
1: So I I don't think I understood the depth of uh, the gender ratio, I didn't think it would bother me because like I'm I've kind of been a tomboy my whole life. Like I took shop classes, I have a lot of male friends. Like I didn't think it would bother me the eighty to twenty percent ratio is what I had when That's I went to Ember at all. Yeah. I didn't think it would bother me until I got there. And then I was like, oh, my God, I need girlfriends. I need girl talk like this. I can't do this. I reached out to organizations like a sorority where I could seek out girls and women in aviation. Um, I was not aware of the stigma or stereotype of brutal people. um, But I witnessed it firsthand. And then as I went out and I was representing the university for like the Air Race Classic or recruiting uh, women at these events, I ran into more than once people that were surprised that I was not like a know-it-all, or <laughs> um, you know, talking down on them. And I was like, no, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm also a student learning.
0: <laughs> That's funny. You're like, normal people go here too. <laughs> Please. Come. Yeah. It's yeah. like,
1: I swear we're not all jerks.
0: <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I've only been to Prescott, Prescott once or twice and it's Papa Romeo Charlie, right? Yes. The only way that I remember that, and the sounds really bad, is I always think of the People's Republic of China. (laughs) I don't know why, but whenever I see PRC, I immediately think People's Republic of China. And then my brain's like, oh, that's Prescott. I'm like, okay. Same thing. I got yelled at by a ground controller for not giving them the phonetic letter of the weather immediately. So, Oh, no. Yeah.
1: They do be cranky. It's gotten worse. I mean, it's They have two helicopter schools there and uh, two flight schools, uh, Embry-Riddle and another Part 61 school there. So it's rather busy to the point where my senior year was so busy they started sending like pattern work people to like a neighboring airport because they're like, we just can't handle the traffic.
0: Yeah, I could totally see that. Um, I think the only airport that I could say was similar with the traffic pattern, the traffic work that I've been to is like Vero Beach. I don't know if you've ever been down there in Florida. Vero Beach is crazy busy oh, too. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Only in
1: my jet, but. Yeah,
0: it's, I want to avoid Vero Beach like the plague. The only times I've been a Prescott Luckily and unluckily, it was like gusting the forty knots. So there was no training aircraft in the area. Uh, but yes, unlucky because we had to go there, we're just gusting the forty knots, but at least we didn't have to worry about all the traffic.
1: See, Embry Riddle can't wouldn't let us wouldn't let the Cessnas out when it was gusting 30 or more. And so I, I canceled more flights for winds than anything else when I was training there. Like yes, there was monsoon season, but usually like you'd get a big storm and then it was over and you'd have great weather. But come springtime, the winds were absolutely ridiculous.
0: Is there a rivalry at all between like the Prescott kids and everyone else that gets the ratings in Phoenix area? Like the Prescott kids think they're better than the Phoenix pilots or the Phoenix pilots think they're better than the Prescott kids? Or you guys all kind of stay away from each other?
1: Um, I honestly haven't had much interaction with the other like Phoenix people. I will say that like the Part 61 school that I ended up going to for my CFI at Prescott as soon as I graduated, like they kind of have like a, they look down on every riddle because it's a part 141 school. They're like, well, everything's handed to you. They're like, here at this part 61 school, like you're gonna have to work. And like, they gave me this speech of how like, there's no syllabus here. You gotta make it work. And I was like, I know I, I got my private part sixty one. I'm I am willing to work.
0: <laughs> that's kind of weird though because I mean even you still have to work hard to get your ratings at Embry Riddle. They're not just going to give it to you. You know I know there's like a set syllabus to follow, but that's funny.
1: I I honestly didn't care for the one forty one world, and I feel like other people have said it where it it's a block learning so like if you don't do well on that block lesson you just repeat it until you pass it like there's no moving on until you get that block done yeah
0: 141 is great if you are i don't know i if you don't care about not having fun and just like flying a lesson every single time 141 is the way you need to go and unfortunately 141 is the way to go if you really want to get to an airline just because you can get there so much faster but yeah, it's not near, it's not as fun. And there's no say that the training is even better. You know, I'm sure you've seen firsthand at a 61 that the training can be fantastic and you can become a better pilot through part 61 than going through a part 141 school.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree. And I tell people that all the time because they've asked me part 61 and part 141. I was like, to me, it kind of depends on your learning style. I was like, but I have cautioned people. I was like, if you go 141, I highly recommend Renting an airplane and going flying for fun, whether it's just sightseeing or breakfast or something, go have fun in the airplane because it's it's gonna get to you eventually.
0: I think if I could give perfect advice it'd be to at least get your private part sixty one and have fun and kind of learn from like a not necessarily an old school, but learn from the sixty one style and, and go enjoy it. And then if you really want to do this and get to an airline really quick, you can always go to one forty one school after that and you can knock it out. I don't know how that works with a thousand hours and all that kind of stuff. you get to get all your ratings, but uh, if you can, I think that might be the best way to do it.
1: So that's a, that's essentially how I did it. I I got my private Part sixty one out of Manassas, and then uh, cut it really close. Went to college two days later.
0: That's awesome. Um, because,
1: well, I contacted Riddle, and I was like, "Hey, I'm really close to being ready for a check ride. Should I just wait to take the check ride there?" And they're like no, because we're part 141, you would start from square one. I was like, oh my God, no. <laughs> so <laughs> um, so I finished my truck ride, like very thankful that a DPE could get me in. And then I moved out to Arizona. Only problem is they do like a, a course where it's like a catch up. So they put all the people that come in with their private and like their own ground school and their own flight schedule. And they basically do like what's supposed to be a quick, Uh, a catch-up of here's our flight standards and here's how everything works and a quick like non-penalty check ride uh you know then you're standardized and then you're like within the hour requirements like that's how it works to switch into 141.
0: What was your experience going going into that right away so going from just the high of getting your private moving across the country going to a brand new place and then being like oh you got your private school but we're gonna have to teach all this stuff it's like i (laughs) didn't know that though
1: (laughs) it it was it was truly infuriating um (laughs) because like i I was a big stressful mess like trying to get this done before i went to school because i found out i was going to start from square one if i didn't get it done so i was like stressed out of my mind trying to get it done when i finally got done i was so happy i was so excited and basically what they told me, was like, oh, it'll just be like a quick review of private. And the ground school was essentially that. It was just like, hey, you were taught this, right? Great. Moving on. But my flight instructor um, basically was like halfway out the door. He was getting ready to go to the airlines. And what I've pointed out to the administration is that this check ride does not count towards their flight instructor certificate since it's not towards a rating. It's purely like a stage check. So therefore, these flight instructors do not care if they pass the check ride or not. So this guy just dragged out orals and, you know, canceled multiple flights, like just dragging me along to get money because this check ride doesn't count on his towards his certificate as a flight instructor. Um, so as soon as he left, though, I got a new instructor and I confronted the administration. I was like, look, you've been in. Dragging me along now for four months. Most people are halfway through their instrument that were in my ground school. I was like, I know that my Part 61 school was not a bad Part 61 school. I know my stuff. I I flew in the DC SFRA. I don't think I'm that. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let me fly. Like,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, I was like, what is the deal? And they're like, oh, like we're sorry, we'll fast track you. And like, eventually, I got done in like less than a month. I was like, how hard was that?
0: <laughs> That's crazy. So there's literally just one person. that was like, "Screw it! I'm deciding to milk all my students, or even better, just deciding to milk Claire for all of her money." <laughs> so she yeah, out. like
1: just he left like like four months after I started with him. He was at an airline, and he was like, "Oh, you've been such a great student." I was like, Screw "Thanks you, for nothing!" Yeah. Like,
0: you <laughs> do you ever like follow him on Instagram or anything, or do you ever like hate follow him anymore, or is it completely out of your mind?
1: Sadly, I, I don't, I don't track him, but I do like occasionally hear from other alumni where he is. I'm like, oh, that's nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. That'd be funny if you are his captain one day or his chief pilot. Like, oh, what's up, man? <laughs> Remember <Yeah>. <laughs> me? <laughs> what, um, so aside from that, what was your experience like at Embry-Riddle? Did you enjoy it?
1: Um, I did enjoy it. Um, I, I liked the small feel. Um, I think it took me a while to get in the groove of, um, there, there's a spot for, like, everyone at Ember. I don't know how weird that sounds, but every level of uh, nerd that you could possibly imagine from, like, extreme to um, dipping my toes in is there. Like, you can, you can find a niche everywhere. They have all kinds of clubs that you can get involved with where you can find your people, um for me, honestly, it was the sorority because that sorority in particular had a bunch of female pilots, so they were able to share books with me. they could help me if I was struggling. Uh, the women aviation chapter had a bunch of uh, volunteer activities, so it was a fantastic opportunity to network constantly. Um, I think that's honestly what drew me to the university as well is that they have such a high percentage of graduates continue on into their field from whatever they studied. Um, And from day one, they were honest to make a good resume. You met with the career services lady and uh, she taught you how to dress. And I think senior year, I took like a one credit course that was required of like professionalism. And you did a mock interview. They taught you how to dress. You took a LinkedIn picture if you wanted like they they really, really, really try to set you up to do well, um, at least interviewing and getting into the professional line.
0: That's awesome. Would you say the the kind of uh alumni do when you graduate, do you feel like the alumni looks out for the imperial uh alumni? Is it like a good community? Is it everything they kind of talk about it is? Uh I always feel like they, they preach that they take care of each other. Do you think that's true? Or is it kind of, you just like any other alumni, you kind of actively work and stay involved in the community?
1: I, I absolutely think that's true because people ask me a lot if I would go back there. And the thing is, is the training to me is nothing special. Like there's no secret formula at Embry-Riddle that makes Embry-Riddle people good. There's not. Um, you can get just as good training at any other decent flight school for a fraction of the cost. But that name carries a lot of weight. Um, there's several alumni receptions. Um, and at those alumni receptions you meet chief pilots of airlines and stuff like that that are just hanging out and meeting other alumni. Um, the networking is incredibly nice. When you see Amber Riddle on the resume, it just it carries weight. Like people seem to look out for each other and admittedly that's kind of how I got into my current job is the chief pilot saw that I was Embry-Riddle on LinkedIn and he was like, Hey, I went to Embry-Riddle Prescott too.
0: That's awesome. Come fly for me, please. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What, what did your path look like after you got your hours at, um, at Embry-Riddle? Embry-Riddle. Was it, uh, did you know you wanted to to skip the airlines or the airlines still goal yours? You just didn't want to go to the regionals kind of what, I guess, what, did you want to do and what have you gotten to get to where you are today?
1: Um, I, I really struggled with what I wanted to do in my aviation career. I, uh, I think I knew right off the bat that I didn't want to go airlines. Um, it just seemed a bit too monotonous to me, um, a bit too routine. Uh, I originally, I tried my hardest to go in to be a test pilot, but you having asked several companies need an engineering degree. And quite frankly, I'm terrible at math. Um, And I had a very frank discussion with one of the professors there that was a test pilot and he's an engineering professor. And I said, I want to do this. And he was like, quite frankly, it's going to take you either six years of schooling or four years and two summers. And he's like, if I were you, I would put I would stop flying now, get your degree and then, you know, pursue your hours elsewhere and you know, go from there. And I, I just loved flying too much. I couldn't sit in a classroom and watch people fly. I couldn't do it. Um, so then I could go from there. And I, some ad on a, a women in aviation website at the conference was talking about corporate. Um So I started to get more into that. And I found um, my academic advisor actually knew quite a bit about corporate so I could lean into her. Um, I didn't sign up for... um a CFI certificate at Riddle. Um, I didn't know how long it was going to take. I didn't trust how long it was going to take because I graduated with about 500 hours and I can get my restricted ATP at a thousand. So I was like, I don't know if I want to sign a contract to stay in Riddle for two years when I already have 500 hours. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So Um, I took the ground school there and I took the written with them and I got my, um, advanced ground instructor certificate with them. But I went over to that part 90 or part 61 school, um, because I knew that they weren't going to trap me in a contract. Um, I actually ended up failing the first time. Um, (laughs) the DP failed me like within the first like 20 minutes. And so I stopped the check ride. I was like, nope, we're done. Um, he, he asked me about like the decide model. And I like refer to my notes, and I slipped up on one of the letters, like on nerves. And I was like, "Oh, my apologies." It's this, and I started to write on the board. He's like, "Well, that's not really how you would teach that." And I was like, "Okay." And he's like, "I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to. Pa- I'm gonna have to fail you." And I was like, "For what? <laughs> A letter?" <laughs> And this guy had a 12% pass rate. So my instructor was kind of like, Hey, you know, don't get upset if you don't pass the first time it happens. And then sure enough, like I failed, I stopped the check ride. The guy got really upset. He was like, well, you can do the rest of it. I was like, yeah, but I get the impression that your mind was made up about me. Like when I got in the room, if you're only failing me in the first 20 minutes of the check ride, I was like, we're done. Um, so, but I had a job lined up. I, uh, one of my friends that was in the engineering program grew up in Apple Valley, California, um which references by like Barstow. It's like three hours from Vegas, maybe two hours from LA. It's like animal nowhere desert, um high desert. And he said, "Well, uh, they chase UAVs. So you're a chase pilot. So basically, you fly in formation with Predators and Reapers." And he's like, "You can build your hours." He's like, "It's not great pay, but like." It's a, it's a good company to work for. I was like, okay. So I emailed my resume and the owner was awesome. She's very sweet. She was like, absolutely, we'd love to have you. I was like, here's the thing, try to finish my CFI. So I stayed to finish my CFI. But when I failed, I didn't want to keep her waiting because I didn't know how long retraining and rescheduling was going to take. So um, I was like, hey, you know what? I failed, but I'm going to come work for you. And she's like, please, please, please finish your CFI training. She's like, I don't want you to give up on this by moving out here. And I was like, absolutely. Um, so I went out there and moved from Prescott, Arizona to Apple Valley. And, uh, she, on the weekends, let me go up to Camarillo to finish my CFI up there. Shit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> if someone would have given me opportunity or someone did give me the opportunity to stop doing my CFI, I left on a heartbeat. I was like, screw that. I never want to study for a CFI ever again. I do not care. Like I'm never doing that again. That's funny. I'd be like, Nope, I don't care. Just hire me, please.
1: Well, I guess she's like, we've had so many people that were like either considering their CFI or like halfway through their CFI that she's like, I just don't want you to lose momentum, especially if you're that close. Um, and actually new people are supposed to work weekends and she gave me weekends off so I could drive up to Camarillo and get it done.
0: The only time I w- I think I will wish that I had my CFI is maybe if my kid wants to fly and I could train him. But even yeah. then i be like, I mean, maybe I can just like give you the basics and then you can go to instructor <laughs> and get 40 hours, you know, and then go do yourself. <laughs> yeah.
1: Cause I, I mean, I mean, honestly, I feel like to be a good CFI, you gotta like really want to instruct somebody. Yeah, and I don't know if it's really in my wheelhouse either. <laughs>
0: not at all. So you did get your CFI though?
1: Yes. Uh, I got it a few months after moving there. Um, my, my good friend let me stay with him in Thousand Oaks so that I didn't have to drive two hours each way to <laughs> go to school. Um, And I I got my hours chasing mostly. And uh, after I got my CFI, um, that same amazing boss let me be a training manager. Um, So I checked people out on the airplanes that we flew um, and did minor stay checks.
0: What kind of planes did you guys fly? Or did you all fly?
1: Uh, we flew mostly Cessna two tens, 10s, but we also had a Bonanza, a Comanche, which was my favorite. And then a couple of Moonies.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you, have to, you have to talk way more about this because I have done probably 200 <laughs> and maybe this is 219 podcasts and no one's ever talked about this. Now I've heard of this before and I can't remember why, but I heard on the radio, like someone was, the ATC is like, yeah, we got people tracing drones down there. And I had no idea what they were talking about. So this is that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, yeah, it's very uncommon. I think besides Apple Valley, I think they might also do it in North Dakota. Um, so essentially, this is a uh, private contractor called Chalk 2 Inc. Um, and they have contracts with General Atomics, um, the Air National Guard, uh, the Army, and the Air Force. And there's two uh, facilities that General Atomics owns called El Mirage and Grey that are out in the desert where the UAVs are built and tested. Um, So essentially, a lot of these UAVs are in testing, but we also helped uh, the armed forces prepare for deployment by going and doing training missions. And then the Air National Guard missions, we were flying them out. uh, If there were wildfires, we would fly them out to the restricted area. They climb up to Class Alpha airspace, and then they fly out over the wildfire, and they take pictures of the hot spots. the the wildfires, to help the wildfire fighters.
0: So what do you mean by you would fly them out? Like they would follow you or like, how did that work? What do you mean by that?
1: So we're in a formation with them. So like, I mean, 300 feet off at a 45 off one of their wings um, formation. And they only have one radio. So they use that one radio to talk to us. And therefore, we're their radios for our center. So we say, you know, UAB 1-2 with Chase at such and such an altitude. Um, and we check in with like Joshua Approach.
0: Gotcha. Okay. That makes more sense. Um, how did you like that? Was that cool? Did you ever like, uh, what, could you take that any farther? Like, is there anywhere else you can go? Uh, does that lead you to flying drones or like any other cool things? Or is it pretty much just to build time and move on?
1: Um, it's essentially a time building gig. I mean, I was, I was fine. I think the most hours I logged was like 10 in a day. Like you, you knock out a lot of hours at once. One of my longest flights was like a 5.5. Um, so you knock out hours quick. I I guess you could, if you're interested in like formation flying at like air shows or something like that, um, perhaps that, because I did go off formation time in it and I, it led to a, uh a small gig with a, a netflix movie where i flew formation for a film
0: you're a star that's crazy what <laughs> <laughs> i don't know about a star. no big deal look see at that no i just for like i see my
1: face for like two seconds and i'm wearing <laughs> a wig so that's i don't so know cool. if it really counts <laughs> yeah
0: that's awesome i love it uh is it weird flying next to drones you're just like what's up dude and like there's no <laughs> one in there <laughs> please don't go weird on me
1: it was, it was fun. Like yeah. it, it did take a second to realize that there's like no one in there and they're on the ground and those UAV pilots were, um, kind of, <laughs> they joke with us. Cause I mean, we're, we're dying out in the desert. It's like over a hundred degrees and we're rationing our water. So we don't have to go to the bathroom. And they're like, yeah, we're sitting in this nice dark box and we're eating Klondike bars. And they're like, thanks guys. I
0: appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> So would you go fly them to their mission and then wait for them to come back? Or would you go fly them to the mission, go land, get fuel, maybe eat food if you can, or do you eat like, are you up for that full five hours just flying back and forth to take more uh, drones to where they need to go?
1: Um, They played quite a bit in restricted area two, five, one, five. I will always remember that restricted area. Um, uh, So they, they go out to the range and, You know, they're either testing weapons or they're flying a route or, you know, little things like that. Um, Sometimes they're demo flights. uh, So, like, they're demonstrating to a crowd below. um, But those long range flights take so long. I mean, they can hold so much fuel. They can be up for, you know, forever. And we can't. So we used to switch off. So we'd um, trade off after five hours, a new 210 would come up and find us. And then we'd fall out of formation. They'd join up. Um, Long, long flights.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sounds like it. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. Did you know there are three action steps you can take to protect yourself in a volatile market? Volatility in the market can make the best investor a little nervous and take actions that they know they normally wouldn't. It can be stressful and you may be thinking, shouldn't I be doing something though? Well, the answer is yes. The first and maybe the most important action you can take, resist the urge to make decisions based on the recent market movements alone. This is very tough, but it will pay off in the long run. Next, if you're feeling stressed in this market, it may be time to review your risk tolerance and your ability to take a loss in downturns. We all like to think we can take the risk up until the point where we actually see fluctuations in our portfolios. And lastly, get a second opinion on where you stand financially so you can take a longer term view of the market in your financial plan. Don't know where to start? RAA can help. Founded by Pilots for Pilots, and with four decades of financial planning and investment management experience, RAA is intimately familiar with the unique benefits, risks, and career timelines that pilots face. Whether you're early in your career as a pilot or you spent years flying the line, RAA is here to help you navigate your financial journey from takeoff to touchdown. For more pilot-specific planning tips, go to raa.com pilot to pilot. And now back to today's episode. So what did you, what was next? Did you take that until you're flying your Falcon now or did you have uh, some other stops on the way?
1: That, that was the the last stopper for my Falcon job. I, I was confident in that I wanted a corporate job and I, I went to women aviation conferences and networked. I went to NBAA and networked. Um, and I actually like went to one big guy. Um, and I, like thought i had kind of like a he said that he was a hiring manager and that he was going to walk me through uh their main operations building and see their airplanes and uh, it sounded great so like i asked to get off work early i had to drive up to uh van nuys and then uh you know i dressed up i brought resumes i brought business cards i looked presentable and then i get there and they're like oh yeah he's in a meeting he said he can't meet with you but like I will walk you around as like the front desk person. I'm like, great, thanks so much
0: for <laughs> blowing me up. Yeah, love it. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> Unfortunately, there are some some people like that in the business aviation side, but there are also some gems, which is which is very cool to see.
1: Yes, I I absolutely think I got a gem. I mean, I honestly I. Fell into this from LinkedIn where, uh, like I said, the chief pilot at the time was like, oh, I also attempted Ember Riddle, you know, much before you. Um, you know, I work at this company. Would you have any interest flying like a global or a Falcon 7X? And truthfully, I didn't know what a Falcon 7X was. I had to Google it.
0: <laughs> and now you'll never forget.
1: <laughs> never.
0: <laughs> yeah, Falcons are awesome. I've never flown a Falcon. I don't know if I ever get a chance to, but it's one of those planes I'd love to fly.
1: It's a a lot of fun. It's it's very smooth. The side stick, I, you know, I didn't think I would like the side stick and I actually genuinely love the side stick.
0: What was your experience like going from flying a 210 Bonanza Comanche to the jet world? Were you nervous going into that, especially getting your first type rating? I mean, some people make a really big deal about the transition from a small piston to, or even a turbo prop, a single engine turbo prop to a jet. Uh, did they put any kind of worry in your mind? Be like, it's going to be really hard. Like you're going to have to study really hard. Or, Are you confident in yourself? Kind of talk about what your mindset was from making that jump.
1: Um, There was no confidence on this side, at least from me. Um, I have to say like my colleagues, my chief pilot were kind of just like, it was like pushing the kid off into the deep end. He's like, you got this. And I was like, I don't feel like I got this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of drowning right now. <laughs> <Can't breathe very laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I I, it, I took one course at Umberto that I thought, I mean, there were a couple of courses that were helpful, but what was helpful for this type reading was, it was called um, Flight Technique Analysis. And it was essentially, you know, transitioning from small airplane to big airplane. Hey, you're going to have to calculate descent. Here's an easy way to do that. Hey, you're going to have to um, calculate pounds and gallons and liters. Here's an easy way to do that. Um, and then he kind of walked you through, had a bid for a schedule and here's how you get a type ring that, that was very helpful for this process I knew what was coming kind of um but it was it was it was hard because I, I already didn't have confidence going into it I I knew I was in over my head and then on top of that you know I was in a class where I was the youngest of the class by like 20 years and then of course I'm like the only girl and so well, no one made fun of me for like being a girl. I did get like a couple of comments about my age and I was like, yeah, okay, I know. <laughs> and, um, you know, like most of the guys in there already have like one or two type ratings in their belt. And I'm sitting there like taking notes about like lights and they're like, really, you're taking notes about lights. And I was like, I don't know what to expect on this oral. I just want to be prepared. I just want to utterly knock this out of the park because I know nobody thinks I can do this. Um, but I I did just fine with the knowledge. I like clearly overstudied. I like went full <laughs> full in depth in the book. I way overstudied. I knew like the break energy limit on the oral, and the guy was impressed. But the sim, right? he was like, "All right, you overstudied." But moving on. <laughs> um, what I struggled with was the flying part of it. Not even the speed. I was I was able if I briefed stuff well enough i was able to keep up with the speed the avionics were no trouble at all because embraer uses the g1000 so you know the avionics came kind of intuitive to us um however i mean not so much for the gentlemen that have been flying flying like proline and stuff like that and you know like ground dials they really dug into avionics which is fine except that i needed someone to dig into like jet characteristics because I took the ATP-CTB course as well, and honestly, like, it was not as in-depth as I would have liked. We did two sim sessions, as is required, um, in a global and one in a Falcon 900, and I got to see how a jet stalled and kind of a brief takeoff, but we didn't really land, and that's what I struggled with, and (laughs) I actually ended up getting a second or uh, an extra sim Uh, before my check ride and I was devastated by that like crying called my parents I was like I don't know if I can do this they say I need an extra sim I sent a text to my boyfriend at the time and I was like I suck I can't do this (laughs) I told you and the instructor is like hey it's one extra sim it's not the big of a deal he's like all I need to do is fix your landings and what I was struggling with was this airplane has auto trim and it's basically all trimmed out for you. Like you barely have to do anything until you flare. Whereas like a Cessna, you have to manhandle that thing down to the ground. (laughs) That was so hard for me to grasp. Um, and as soon as I just stopped touching it so much, it was fine. Um, and that's all it was. And even my chief pilot was like, dude, I need an extra sim. It's, it's a, it's an ultra long range jet. It's a bit much, you know? Um, It's like you're a really
0: good spot. Like you have a lot of people that are are very understanding and that is true. Uh, There's a lot of people at the company I work that sometimes get recommended for extra sims. And it's truly just like, we want the best for you. We're not going to sign you off. Like until we make sure that you are 100% prepared and ready. And it's not necessarily like a bad thing. Like you suck. Like you're, you're thinking it's just, we want you to thrive. We want you to be the best pilot you can possibly be. And we want you to be as good as you can. And this is what you need to do.
1: Yeah, it was, it was just so hard. I think I was honestly, I was freaking out because this was like my first big kid job. And I was yeah. like, oh my God, I just costed them another sim. I'm a terrible employee. Like
0: <laughs> they probably loved how you reacted. Cause like, oh my gosh, she cares so much. <laughs> like other people are gonna be like, oh, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> like, oh, we got a good one. Don't let her leave. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: Yeah. And it, I, all I took was one more sim, and I passed the check ride. No problem.
0: <laughs> what do you think of the ATP CTP course?
1: Um, I value its importance and significance, and I, I I don't think we should do away with it. It should be completely refurbished, though. Um, so for me, it was it's five days of ground, um which kind of sucked because it interrupted my training. They did, Two weeks of um airplane for me i took a week to do atp ctp and then they threw me back in the sims for the 7x and it was kind of not great but then the atp ctp course it's it's five days of death by powerpoint like thousands of slides of honestly things that you should know as a commercial pilot like i feel like it was everything that i learned and be riddled condensed into five days of PowerPoint. Um, the important stuff like jet characteristics were not heavily hammered in. Like I could not tell you like other than maybe some of the coffin corner stuff, what was discussed about jet stuff. Um, and then, yeah, the, the most I got out of it was the sims because you could actually see firsthand that, Hey, when you stall a jet up at like 30,000 feet, it's not going to stop in like 200 feet, like you do an assessment.
0: Yeah, um, a couple thousand yeah. feet to get that bad boy back going.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. um, little terrifying, but yeah. but I mean it's it's stuff like that. Like I I I agree with the concept of the course. It needs to be redone.
0: I think it is the biggest waste of time anyone will ever do in their life. It was yeah. the most it's the dumbest thing I've ever taken in my life. I will. Say that every single time over and over again. I agree with you that it needs to be completely like rewritten, rethought, but it is, it was such a waste. I didn't learn a single thing. We watched airplane investigation videos for most of the the class. It was like, (laughs) it was the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. And I felt like such a money grab. Like it was just such a mess.
1: (laughs) And like, how how much more would we get out of it if they just slimmed it down and stuck it to just, you know, the critical stuff about? Transitioning to jets, like how how hard would that be? You yeah. get so much more out of it.
0: Yeah, so much more. And I did my full motion sim in a DC nine, so um, <laughs> which was kind of cool because I got to like say yeah. that I flew in a DC nine. But like that's not going to help me at all. I'm not going to fly no. this archaic airplane that even Delta is getting rid of finally, or the Mad Dog. It's like <laughs> this is so stupid. And the guy yes. loved DC nine, like he. I learned that people that love the DC-9, and I might get in trouble for this, but they can be a little strange. <laughs> it's like a strange community of odd goofball people. <laughs> now, oh, no, no, no. If my, someone agrees my, with me, my please. physiology
1: professor was like that. No, it's, it's true. It They're is? Weird. All right.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Someone, so you might be the only one that agrees with me there, but it is just some strange people. And he loved that plane. He said it's the perfect plane ever built. There will never be a plane. I was just like, all right, dude, I'm going to cooperate and graduate and just agree with you here. But... <laughs> It was awful. Such a waste of time.
1: And that's all it was. It was just cooperating, and graduate. I Heck, I sat in the back of the class and studied for my ATP written. I was just back there doing Shepard era, like. Ch-ch-ch-ch-ch.
0: Pretty much. Yeah, I took my written then as soon as I could and passed it. I was like, all right, that was a waste of $5,000 because I had to pay for mine on my own. I didn't even, oh my God. I wasn't even included to where I was going to go. So yeah, it was, it was rough, man. i was pissed Wait. off. Yeah. So stupid. Um, all right. So what's it like when flying the Falcon or flying for the corporate life?
1: Um, it's uh, it's definitely exciting. Uh, I think when I said that the airlines were monotonous and routine, I may have swung way too far in the opposite direction. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm very, very lucky in that my company has a fixed schedule of two weeks on and two weeks off. Um, I, I know not everybody gets that. A lot of people, especially work part 91, like you're on call or some people only get like a few days off in a month. Um, This is like a fixed schedule. So I know my schedule for the whole year. Um, But when I'm on in those two weeks, um, it's very kind of chaotic because our sales team is fantastic, which is great news for business and kind of scary for us pilots. (laughs) Um, They're just they're trying to sell the airplane. And recently, my company, since COVID hit, they switched their business model to, hey, we have all these awesome airplanes we own to... Now let's manage airplanes and charter them out. So now we have owners with owner requests and, you know, we got to fit charters in there periodically. So it's kind of chaotic. I mean, things change quick. I can recall several instances where I went to the airport and I had an airline ticket and I was sitting at the gate and they're like, do not get on the airplane. We're gonna cancel that ticket. Um, please buy a ticket to San Francisco instead. It leaves in four hours. <laughs> Thank you.
0: That's a daily occurrence. For me. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: there, there's it's- so many moving parts uh, in, in this side of the world. But like, wait, that airplane's actually just diverting to Wichita. So now instead of flying to Boston, you're gonna fly to Wichita, and then you get on the plane to Wichita, and they message you like, actually, we need you to go here, and you're like, well, it's too late. They already shut the door, and they're like, dang it, all right, we'll figure something out. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, it's uh this job has definitely made me a more patient person in that things happen and change and a lot of it's out of my control. And then also with the international stuff, sometimes what is my best effort is not their best effort. And we just gotta figure out how to get it done and meet in the middle. Yep,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Have do you feel like Embry Riddle sets up uh the corporate world for success? So the people that don't want to go to the airlines, do you think it's a good idea? To still go to Embry Riddle if your end goal is to do what you're doing,
1: um, <laughs>
0: you don't have to so, answer that if that would like get you in trouble or anything. But no,
1: no, no. Uh, so the first half of it, I would say yes, they can set you up because the corporate world is very much networking. It's like who you know. Like that's the hardest part is getting your foot in the door. Like you got to know somebody, and then once you go from there, if you haven't burned bridges and been a terrible person, you can usually network from there and you know, progress in your career. Um, so I think in that aspect, it prepares you for networking and, and, you know, shaking hands and talking to people. I, but (laughs) for corporate specifically, they kind of like bash corporate, like throughout riddle. Like there were several courses where teachers were like, well, like my flight planning nav class, they're like, you're going to have to do this on your own. If you're corporate, I'm like, well, I don't like someone else does it for me. Don't get me wrong. I checked their work, but someone else does it for me. Um, I had another person that was like, well, you're going to have to clean your airplane. I was like, yeah, I have to clean my airplane. But like at the most, I think the most passengers I've ever had is 10 people. And even then it wasn't that big of a mess. If it's truly messy, we get a deep cleaning. Like
0: <laughs> yeah, percent. Like, they, yeah.
1: they just bash corporate. They're like, Oh, you're going to have a terrible schedule. You're going to be pressured to fly. Like all this stuff. I'm like, That's not true. I mean, yes, absolutely. There are bad eggs out there. There 100% are. But if you do your research, you can find a good operation. You just have to know and do your research.
0: 100% agree. And that's kind of, I I felt like that'd be the way that was going to go. I feel like that's most any school, to be honest with you, because the airlines just have such a good influence over what people deem and think of as a successful career in the industry. It's like, oh, these people didn't become airline pilots. Like they must not have been good pilots, or they. it's Like everywhere I go, everyone's like, "Hey, you got your apps in for regional or for majors?" Like, no, dude. Like I, I'm, I'm good. Like I kind of dislike what I'm doing. They're like, "Oh, weird. <laughs> like that's strange." Exactly. I was gonna yeah.
1: say like that culture is still there. They're like, yeah. "Oh, so when are you going to the airlines?" I'm like, "I'm
0: not." Yeah. When are you coming <laughs> here? That's a better question. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I get that all the time. And going to clean the plane, like you said, if it's bad. Uh, we, we are so big that we have operator, like we go to certain airports and we have like an, a NASCAR pit crew that comes on and does everything for us and a clean stock and everything. But I say we go to small, a small airport and it's exactly, what you said if it's so bad. Like I've never stuck my hand in a toilet. Like you're not like deep cleaning a toilet. Like you might be wiping it down, but if it is really bad, someone else comes in and cleans it. You are hands off. That's it. You pick up some trash, you vacuum and you just do like spot cleaning and wiping and that's about it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, my crew, I mean, we always have fun with it. Like we play music and like I do, you know, the typical first officer duties. I put the covers and pins on and I unload the bags. And then as soon as I'm done with that, I'm back there with the flight attendant vacuuming, wiping down tables. And like, it gets done really quick if you all help out.
0: Yeah. What's been the coolest part of being a corporate pilot for you?
1: Um, Oh. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess the, not routine part. Like I, I like that. I never know where I'm going. Um, but I also like, and part of the reasons I didn't want to go to the airlines besides routine is I didn't want to be responsible for like 200 people at a time. I fairly enjoy getting to watch how my flying somebody like directly got someone there, whether it's like a musician getting to a performance or maybe just like a celebrity trying to get away from people or, you know, an important person going to a business meeting. I've even had um, someone that was dying from cancer. Like they got a cancer treatment one place and we were basically taking them home to die. Like I've carried all those people, but I got to see like, that's why I was flying. It was nice to see how my flying helped somebody.
0: Have you ever had um, any kind of people that you fly that are surprised to see like either women flying or someone as young as you flying or are they all pretty cool and pretty chill?
1: Oh, no, it's like constant. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, Our uniforms are fairly discreet. Like I wear a suit and tie, but I don't wear epaulettes. And then my suit, my stripes are dark blue on dark blue. Um, we, we try to be discreet so that like, you know, it it is private, you know, you get it, like try to keep a low profile. Um, but you know, there's been a few times there nearly every day, you know, somebody will say like, they'll ask me a question that I don't know because I'm not the flight attendant about like catering your papers or coffee. And I'd call up to our flight and I'm like, Hey, do you need this? And they're like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Or, passengers all the time i had this did you know know? i was like standing there like with my sleeves rolled up washing dishes and this guy came up and he was like looking around i was like can i help you with something and he was like oh i'm just looking i was like oh can i help you with something he's like oh i'm looking for the pilot i was like oh you're looking at her (laughs) (laughs)
0: that's awesome he's like oh uh Yeah. So cool. I, I mean
1: I, I've had a mean I had a mean or older lady that said, Does she even know what she's doing? I
0: <laughs> like, I don't know, we'll find out, I guess, huh?
1: <laughs> my my flight didn't had my back. He was like, Well, she would be the first to arrive to a crash sitting at the front. So I should hope so.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> and she's like, Ah, oh, fine, you're right. It's like and you're also not gonna go. <laughs> this is your only option to go where you want to go. So you got nothing else.
1: <laughs> I promise I'll do a good job.
0: Yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Um, uh, everything's changing for the good, like we talked about in the beginning. It just takes time, you know. I uh, got to get some of these creepy white guys out of there. <laughs> I hate saying that yeah. over and over again, but there are just some weird people in aviation, and what there's weird people in everything, though. So it's been great to see yeah. what Instagram can do and what what you're doing and what other people are doing as well. So uh, we got to love it. Now, remember on your profile, you I'm going to have to look at your Instagram real quick. Uh, (laughs) let me look let me look let's see oh it's not bad at all you have started or no you're the director of sky kids correct yeah yeah you want to talk about that
1: yeah so um when i was in arizona in school sky kids uh were started in arizona about 10 years ago uh so sky kids Uh, operates as a 501 C three and they give free flights to children with disabilities and special needs. So they go up in the airplane for like 40 minutes. The goal is to get them to like, at least handle the airplane up in the air. Obviously not all children can do that. um, But you know, it's it's an attempt to get that experience, but they get that flying experience and they go with a parent or guardian. um, And it's like a whole big event. They come back and they walk a red carpet. We give them a certificate and wings um, and then we have like music and food. Um, it's completely free of charge. Um, and I found it when I went to Embrydol and Prescott, uh, they have two events, uh, yearly in Teenix. They have one in Scottsdale and they have one in Goodyear. And I volunteered at them with my friends. And, uh, after we graduated and we were like settled into our careers, my friend was like, we should put on a Sky Kids event in California. I was like, I don't know if you understand the undertaking that's about to occur. Like, you know how much work, that would be. He's like, what else are we doing? Like, we're, you know, we have time off. I was like, yeah, you're right. So um, we presented to the current board um, at Arizona and uh, thankfully they trusted us. And uh, we put on our first Chino event in 2019 and it went fairly well. We had 46 families come and fly um, and then we were going to continue it and then COVID hit. Um, but we just did our last event, uh, in March at Goodyear. Um, and we had 88 families participate and we're hoping to have a Chino event October 15th. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. That
0: is a lot of fun. That's so cool. Uh, it's awesome to see organizations out there just trying to get more more kids or just more people involved in aviation. So it's really cool. I love, I love seeing it.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, the whole plan is, like, these kids, like, a lot of them probably will never drive a car. Um, Some of them are cancer patients, so it's nice to get, like, this experience, this confidence boost, you know, as a kid. smile, yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, gotta love that. That's so cool. Well, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready for them? These are just aviation-themed questions, and you come up with the first answer you can think of as fast as possible. And now it is time for the rapid-fire section. Today's rapid-fire section is sponsored by SiriusXM Aviation. With high-resolution coast-to-coast composite radar and cloud-to-cloud, cloud-to-ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always-available weather products like METARs, ECHOTOPS, and Storm Sirius SiriusXM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out AOPA.org forward slash SiriusXM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. Okay. All right. What's your favorite airplane ever made? P-51. Favorite corporate jet? Falcon 7X. Favorite airliner?
1: Uh, 737.
0: Ugliest airplane you've ever seen in your life? Piaggio. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Something you wish you knew before you became a pilot?
1: Uh... How much math is involved?
0: <laughs> Who in the industry would you like to meet most?
1: Um, Peggy Benzing.
0: Favorite thing about aviation? One thing overall that you love most?
1: Um, escaping the real world.
0: Your least favorite flight you've ever flown?
1: Uh, Newark to Teterboro. Hmm.
0: Favorite approach <laughs> you've ever flown, or favorite flight you've ever flown?
1: Uh.
0: Martin. Yeah, St. Martin's awesome. Well, I guess we'll probably answer this one too. What's your favorite airport you've ever landed at? Uh,
1: Innsbruck, Austria.
0: What's your least favorite airport? Tia <laughs> <laughs> IFR or VFR? VFR. <laughs>
1: um,
0: favorite airport food. So let's say you are either, you no, know, let's say you're in an airport and you have to connect uh, you're connecting to, or you, they just told you, you have another flight in four hours on an airline and you have a couple hours to go get some food. What are you getting at an airport?
1: Um, I'm really lame and I typically get like a sandwich from like one of those news
0: Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> hey, whatever works, right? Would you rather fly over mountains, beaches, or cities? Um, or the ocean?
1: Mountains. Mountains.
0: Mountains. Airbus or Boeing?
1: Uh, Airbus.
0: Favorite airline livery?
1: I know. Guided?
0: Would you rather fly the longest possible trip you can fly on your Falcon 7X or as many short legs as you could do in a day?
1: Uh, definitely the longest. <laughs>
0: Hardest check ride you've ever had? CFI. Uh, Favorite check ride? Private. Biggest regret in your career, if you have one, Ooh.
1: Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, letting my CFI expire.
0: Ooh.
1: I know, I know.
0: <laughs> I feel that one for you. <laughs> Never again. <laughs> no. What's the biggest win of your career?
1: Uh, this typewriting.
0: CRJ or ERJ? If you had to fly on a CRJ 200 or ERJ 145, what would you choose? Oh
1: My Skywest friends are going to hate me. CRJ.
0: <laughs> Piper or Cessna? Uh, Piper. 141 training versus 61 training?
1: 61.
0: And if you had your choice, uh, you're meeting your, your 7X somewhere, I don't know, let's say Australia. You could choose any airline you want to go on. What airline would you choose? Blanket. There it is. Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Uh, It's been a lot of fun talking to you. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's so much fun. Thank you.
0: Perfect. And that's a wrap of episode 219 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. I am currently recording this intro at 11 p.m. at night in Vegas on my 10-hour turn because it's been a week just like that. <laughs> uh, next week, I, I might be coming out with another um, day in the life or an Ask Me Anything. So let me know what you'd like to know. And then other than that, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, please like, subscribe, follow. Tell all your friends to follow this podcast. Subscribe to it. It doesn't matter if they listen to it. Just let them know that they got to follow it (laughs) and listen to it. Uh, Avian Nation, I hope you're having a great day. And as always, happy flying.